What's in store this holiday at your local Staples? Gifts and packages shipped with care. So you can relax in knowing they'll soon be there. Now at Staples, you get 15% off UPS shipping services and 15% off all shipping supplies. Plus, Staples is open seven days a week. So you can ship around your schedule this holiday. And still get everything out in time while spending less. Staples, there's a whole lot in store this holiday. Exclusions apply. In-store only. See associate for details. Ends 1229-18. Get ready to hear the truth and facts about everything biker. A show not immune to the facts and says it like it is. Get ready and keep the throttle cracked wide open. Motorcycle Madhouse is about to take you on a wild ride. Now, the born and every side, James Hollywood Machikari. Welcome to episode 32 and Tuesday's edition of Motorcycle Madhouse. I'm James Hollywood Machikari, and in this first segment, we are going to talk about Harley Davidson and its ongoing issues the company is facing, as well as their declining rider loyalty. Now it's time to crack that throttle and let's get this show on the road. So, this morning while planning the show, lo and behold, the internet is lit ablaze with news Harley-Davidson's planning to manufacture some of its motorcycles over in Europe because the tariffs just imposed by the European Union. One such article with all the dramatics was by CNBC, and it states, Harley-Davidson, stung by tariffs, ships some production overseas. The article goes on to say, Harley-Davidson, up against spiraling costs from tariffs, will begin shifting the production of motorcycles headed for Europe from the U.S. to factories overseas. Company shares have slumped almost 3% before the opening bell on Monday. Other companies heavily relying on aluminum and steel fell as well. Harley-Davidson, up against spiraling costs from tariffs, will begin shifting the production of motorcycles headed for Europe from the U.S. to factories overseas. Honestly, I didn't even know they had factories overseas for Harley-Davidson because, you know, I bought Harley-Davidson, made their bikes over here. Anyway, the European Union on Friday began rolling out tariffs on American imports like bourbon, peanut butter, and orange juice. The EU tariffs on $3.4 billion worth of U.S. products are retaliation for duties the Trump administration is opposing on European steel and aluminum. Harley-Davidson sold almost 40,000 motorcycles in the European Union last year, generating revenue second only to the United States, according to the company. The maker of the iconic American motorcycle said in regulatory filings Monday that EU tariffs on its motorcycles exported from the U.S. jumped between 6% and 31%. The company said it expects the tariffs will result in an incremental cost of about $2,200 per average motorcycle exported from the U.S. to the EU. Harley-Davidson maintains a strong commitment to U.S.-based manufacturing which is valued by its writers globally, the company said in prepared remarks. Bullshit. Increasingly, international production to alleviate the EU tariff burden is not the company's preference. Bullshit. 
but represents the only substantial option to make its motorcycle accessible to customers in the EU and maintain a viable business in Europe. Europe is a critical market for Harley-Davidson. Bullshit. The company said that it will not raise its prices to avert an immediate and lasting detrimental impact, quote, on sales in Europe. Well, Harley hasn't lowered their prices in the U.S., and they wonder why they're in trouble, but God forbid they uh, don't raise their prices in Europe. Anyway, Harley will instead absorb a significant amount of the cost in the near term. It anticipates the cost for the rest of the year to be approximately $30 million to $45 million. Company shares slumped almost 3% again before opening bell on Monday. Other companies heavily reliant on aluminum steel again fell as well. Well, what they don't tell you is Harley-Davidson's been slumping quarter after quarter. And we'll get into that, you know what, a little bit later in this episode. Anyway, Harley-Davidson said that the shifting targeted market from the U.S. to international facilities could take at least 9 to 18 months to be completed. Monday, the vice president of the European Union's governing body said, Europe and China will form a group aimed at updating global trade rules to address technology policy, government subsidies, and other emerging complaints in a bid to preserve support for the international commerce. Well, why they're at it? Maybe they should put something there about China stealing our, you know what, whatever we do here in the United States, especially our intellectual rights. European Commission Vice President, whatever, whatever, because you can't say these guys' name over there, said, Unilateral action by U.S. President Donald Trump in disputes over steel, China's technology policy, and other issues highlighted the need to modernize the World Trade Organization to reflect developments in the world economy. No, basically what he's saying is we finally got a president who's not going to sit there and take their shit. The Wall Street Journal reported that the Trump administration plans to impose curbs on Chinese investment in American technology companies and high-tech exports to China. So now, Harley-Davidson has its excuse to further move production overseas instead of keeping its production here in the States. Harley is using this tariff battle to further undercut the hard-working men and women here in the States in order to get a lower wage cost to try and prop up its struggling business model. And here's the painful truth about what is calling, causing Harley-Davidson's trouble from Rich Dupree of The Motley Fool. Another quarter, another dismal performance by Harley-Davidson. Though the market seemed to buy into the promise that this time it will be able to turn things around. But don't count on it. And you know what? I fully agree. U.S. sales of motorcycles tumbled 12% in the first quarter 
and were down 7% worldwide. Sales were up 8% in Europe. Though, a rebound from last quarter, which saw sales drop there. But, it is, of course, the U.S. market that remains a primary concern because it continues to represent almost 60% of total sales and may continue to be in a tailspin. And I wonder why, Harley. Anyway, that hasn't stopped management from promising to fix things again by crafting strategy accelerants. You know what, really, what the hell does that even mean? To deliver shareholder returns. And that's what it's always been about, Harley. That's why you're in the dump. That's why the sales are going down. Because you're always worried about the shareholder instead of the customer. Always want to get that bottom line going, man. Yet, admitting that its efforts thus far haven't worked. I wonder why. It also said it was refining the plans it had already devised, but it wouldn't reveal how it was going to achieve them until this summer. It's because they don't have any idea how they're going to achieve it. It's in a downspin, Harley-Davidson. The problems Harley-Davidson are encountering aren't necessarily of its own making, though it hasn't helped itself along the way. It noted that the motorcycle industry for bikes 601 cubic centimeters and larger had shrunk over 11% in the first quarter. So Harley's performance was only minimally worse than the market average. The problem is that Polaris industry, which also sells into that market, continues to notch higher motorcycle sales. Indian motorcycle whole goods sales were up by double-digit percentages. Well, you know what? They're putting out a better bike, if you ask me. With retail demand rising by a single low-digit percentage, its target market is slightly large engine deplacement segment of 900cc and above. Well, that's where most of the Harley-Davidson uh, bikes also reside. And it notes the industry was down by mid-teen percentages in that quarter. With those two positions, say, that although... The market for big bike continues to fall hard. Those who are buying prefer Indians. And we all wonder why. Even though Harley-Davidson still owns half of the U.S. market, Indian continues to gain market share at the expense of Harley-Davidson. Unfortunately, Harley-Davidson CEO, Matt, Levitich remains vague on what the motorcycle company is going to do to change that dynamic. Well, they're getting their asses kicked in flat track all over the place. They're getting their asses kicked by Indian on sales. It looks like there's a market shift happening because, quite frankly, Harley forgot its base. Harley will achieve its goals of bringing in 2 million new U.S. riders building 100 new bikes and increasing international volumes to attain 50% of that total. But that's a pretty tall order in a rising market, let alone one in decline. 
Basically, what this article's saying is Harley Davidson's in a fairy tale world. Harley also refined its wording on when we would see its new electric motorcycle changing from within the next 18 months to before 2020. While both indicated the e-bike will appear in 2019, it sounds like Harley-Davidson may have pushed back its deadline a few months. And you know what? Rightly so they should, because who's going to buy a bike that only goes 50 miles on a charge? Ridiculous. Go out there and buy the Zero. At least it goes with the extension uh, 250 miles. Come on. Any, uh, you know, Mr. Wizards over there at Harley-Davidson can, can see, nobody's going to go and buy that bike. That's where Harley has contributed to its problems. It has failed to make motorcycles that today's current biker buyer wants. Or, let's put in there, can afford. As it became clear that its core customers were no longer buying bikes, and they wonder why, it still produced big, gleaming machines. It has more recently tried producing some smaller bikes, like its Street 500, and it's 750s, but sales in that segment fell 30% year after year. Now it has a new contender in Royal Enfield targeting the low end of the market, along with Honda and others. And though there is potential in its investment in the electric bike maker Alta Mortars, which I don't see, it's hard to see Harley producing this kind of small, lightweight, but affordable e-bike the market would respond to. And that's the key right there, folks. Affordable. That's something Harley-Davidson can't, you know, stomach. They're too busy uh, trying to, you know, make money for them shareholders. Harley-Davidson continues to protect its premium image at all costs. And even this quarter, as sales were failing... It was able to report higher revenues up almost 3% because it isn't discounting its bikes like its rivals, but instead has introduced pricey new bikes equipped with its powerful Milwaukee 8 engine. It's rising prices, not higher sales, that are sustaining Harley-Davidson at the moment. Yet the market is counting on it getting the equation right this time even though it's failed to do it before. They're not going to lower them prices. The spring season is when Harley makes most of its sales. And the first half of it has already been extremely disappointing. Even so, management maintained its guidance that it will ship to dealers between 231,000 and 236,000 motorcycles globally this year. This is only 2 to 4% less than what it shipped in 2017, suggesting once again we're going to have a need for a big revision as the year progressive. Can Harley Davidson and Indian succeed in reviving the motorcycle industry? It's not going to be only Harley Davidson unit numbers going from bad to worse, but it's earnings too. As far as Harley-Davidson <laughs> and they're thinking it's going to take the hero stance, 
on not raising prices because of the tariffs? I call bullshit. Anytime the company can raise prices, they will. Once upon a time, Harley-Davidson used to be the mega force in the motorcycle industry. It was always at the top of the list for any respected biker to want to own. To be in the most motorcycle clubs, for example, one had to have a Harley. A biker without a Harley wasn't considered to be a biker, but some just, some wannabe. All that has changed now. The once mighty symbol of freedom and the image that it built is starting to crumble. The company that used to be the king of the road is just a shadow of itself. The company has no one to blame but itself for its fall from grace. Harley got to be where it was from those hard-working, blue-collar workers. Workers that went to work every day, busted ass, just to be able to ride and raise hell on the weekends. Since the early 90s, when the lifestyle started to change and different people, usually not a part of the Harley's core customer base, came flocking in to the lifestyle, Harley took advantage of these new, this new influx and started raising the prices, plain and simple. This was a serious mistake on Harley's part. Harley started to price out its core customer base and relied on customers that wouldn't stick by the company for long. In the early 2000s, shows like the Biker Build-Off, Orange County Choppers kept Harley riding high. Shows like that brought customers who never considered riding before into the mix. The Chopper craze was in full swing, and if you couldn't afford one, a Harley was the next best thing. Harley started its decline at that point, is what I believe. Harley started to focus not only on raising its prices even more, they started pushing that clothing and accessories as a bigger part of the company instead of staying focused on building a better bike. In 2006, most of the reality shows started to go off air and the recession was starting to loom. Those customers Harley relied upon started to get out of the lifestyle, started selling off those bikes. The used market became saturated with all kinds of makes and models. That saturation continues today. What happens when the used market becomes saturated with bikes? No one really wants to spend $25,000, to get a big bad bagger. Shit, nobody wants to spend $10,000 on a Sportster. When people don't want to buy the product, the production starts to be cut and people at the company get laid off. Harley was lucky in its marketing. It had a loyal base from the Vietnam era that pushed an ideal. If you were not riding a Harley, then you were not a real biker. This can go even, actually it goes back even further to after World War II 
when everybody wanted to ride Allied bikes. So the Vietnam Air actually just enforced it. Some of that thinking still exists today, but not like it used to be. Problem with that thinking is people started saying, if you're on two wheels, who gives a shit what you're riding? And I agree fully with that saying, by the way. I got to the point when Harley started closing up factories here in the States and giving you know work to Mexico and India, started shipping production overseas, the products suffered. Just look at all the recalls that have started in just the last year. Quality is, might as well be made in China. Truth is plain and simple. Harley is struggling because they got away from the core base of riders. And I'm not talking about the old school tramps who are now aging out of the lifestyle. The core base of Harley has always been the blue collar worker. Harley took its gamble during the rub air. And now they're paying the price. Those rubs that they relied, relied so heavily upon are the ones who stoked the used bike market. Come on, why buy a new bike when you can get something used with hardly any miles on it? Actually, I guess the rubs were good for something. Funny, 35 years ago, tariffs actually saved Harley-Davidson's ass. Prices rose and jobs were lost, but limiting competition didn't play a biggest role in helping the bike maker, as history suggests. History has taught us that 33 years ago, President Ronald Reagan saved Harley-Davidson by imposing draconian import tariffs on Japanese motorcycles. By giving the sole American motorcycle maker some breathing room from competition to retool, Harley was able to get its act together, turn profitable, and even request the tariff protection be ended early. Of course, in today's political climate, the story seems to have been, you know what, a particular reverence. But the history books seem to have gotten it wrong. That tariffs actually did little to help Harley-Davidson survive. Though they likely did cost some workers their jobs and raise costs for consumers, what actually saved Harley-Davidson back then was Harley-Davidson. They pulled up its bootstraps and after being bought out in 1981 by a group of investors led by a former AMF executive, Harley-Davidson immediately set about to remake itself. Over the next several years, it retooled its factory, introduced innovative 1340cc V2 evolution engines, developed a soft tail hidden rear suspension system, switched from rigid mount engines to rubber mounted, introduced just-in-time inventory management systems, and with an economic recession causing sales of all motorcycles to slide, even Japanese manufacturers like Honda, Kao, and Yamaha overestimated demand. Harley's delicate financial condition 
couldn't afford the discounting the oversupply was causing. Despite the Japanese bike makers offering to help Harley make it through the crunch by giving it technological assistance and providing tens of millions of dollars in loans to keep it going, Harley instead to choose protect, protectivism and petitioned the Reagan administration in 1982 to raise tariffs. And it has been since the 1940s Harley-Davidson was the U.S. bike industry, being the lone American biker left in the market, although Honda and Cow did have a single plant each located in the U.S., but with Harley's global market share, you know, share slipping, the U.S. International Trade Commission determined that Honda, Cow, Suzuki, and Yamaha had hurt Harley's business and advocated a tariff hike. Reagan ended up raising the tariffs from 4.4 to 49.4%. Though the rates were to fall by a set amount each year thereafter, with the removal or extension decided after five years. However, Harley-Davidson staged a dramatic recovery with sales rising so fast that after just four years they petitioned the government to lift the tariffs, saying it no longer needed protection, making this a simple success story of a targeted trade protection. But wait, not so fast. Harley-Davidson was and is a big bike maker with the engine displacements of its bikes mostly exceeding 1,000 cc's. Every attempt Harley has made at diversifying to smaller concepts over the years has met with failure. Sprints, RVs, Buells, MV, even lawnmower engines, they've all been object failures. So far, though, it seems to be having some success with its 57050 street models. And that's where Japan's bike masters were at the time, with research from the Cato Institute saying about half of their bikes larger than 7cc were only 750cc. Because tariffs only affected bikes with 700cc engines and above, the immediate effect was that manufacturers like Yamaha began making 690cc engines to get around the tariffs. Honda and Cow simply transferred more production to their U.S. plants. Which, you know what, they're pretty damn smart. According to the Japanese Research Institute of Economy, sales of the smaller engine Japanese bikes jumped from 43% to 60% in 1983 and afterward. The tariffs also caused prices to rise, and not just on Japanese bikes, but on Harleys too. And go figure, this was supposed to help them out, instead it fucked us. Then as now, Harleys commanded a premium, and for the first two years after the tariffs were imposed, they maintained the same percentage price difference over their Japanese rivals. It was only after the U.S. agreed to devalue the dollar in 85 that the price of Japan's bikes rose substantially faster than those of Harley. Ultimately, RIETI found it was Harley-Davidson's own initiatives 
the modernized factories, the new engines, the better inventory control that played the biggest role in its turnaround. Indeed, during that time, the number of motorcycles with defective parts hardly produced plunged from 50 to just 2%, and we all remember them days. Because the tariffs affected only a relatively small percentage of bikes, motorcycles from Germany, Italy, and the UK and elsewhere were granted exceptions to the tariffs and the Japanese were able to get around their effect while further innovating. They're smart little fuckers, them guys. It, it's estimated the tariffs accounted for only 6% of sales increase hardly enjoyed in the aftermath. The rest was due to the bike maker's own efforts, which they lack today. They're about, all they're doing is just wanting to give it up. And it wasn't necessarily because Harley had become so profitable and strong that it re requested the tariffs to be lifted. Because Honda and Cow had manufacturing plants here, they also enjoyed trade protection from their overseas rivals. When the profitability they were shifting production to those U.S. plants, Harley risked seeing its com competition get even stronger the longer the tariffs remained in place. Even though Harley-Davidson of today faces sliding sales, dwindling profits, and stiff competition from Polaris, which is stealing market share after successively reinducing the Indian motorcycle nameplate to go along with its well, now-gone victory brand, it isn't the same condition it was three decades ago. Presidential politics are raising the specter of protectionism as a valid policy option once more. But using Harley-Davidson as a case study to validate them indicates that perhaps the wrong history lesson has been learned. Harley-Davidson might want to learn from history. It's not the tariffs that are hurting them. Personally, if they do not rebrand themselves, make a product the blue-collar worker can afford, I think the company will go the route of Kmart, struggle for missteps, and eventually become a household name for failure and disappointment. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari, host of the Motorcycle Madhouse and the Biker Angle over on YouTube. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be. Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Or come on over to the Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel for the Biker Angle, hosted by myself. New episodes every Thursday at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 8 a.m. Be there! Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeartRadio. On our last episode of Adventures of Butterball, he picked up a lady of the night, but he couldn't get it up and was forced to pay anyway. So he decided to call a sexual helpline. So let's listen in as he talks to them about his problem. The biker's so fat that he stepped on the scale and said to be continued. We now give you the adventures of Butterball! Can I help you? Yes, I'm calling for sexual therapy. Uh, who referred you to us? Well, I've gotten the number from the newspaper. From the newspaper? Yes. 
newspaper? Oh, the Village Voice. It's right here in front of me, if you don't believe me. I'll read it to you. No, I believe you. Okay, listen, I really could use the help. Yeah, one moment, please, sir. Hello? Yes. Are you um, uh, seeking therapy uh, by yourself? Well, what I want is, yeah, we were going to do a group little thing, but um, the guys backed out. I, I just really could use the help myself. Well, uh, but I don't understand what you're Well, talking. I was, you know, not functioning properly, and we would always try new techniques and stuff, but I, I just... Are you coming to therapy with your partner? Well, you see, my it's all been a twisted like a little wiener package that something... I don't understand what you're talking Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. My partner should come, shouldn't he? Yes, well, you would have to come with your partner. Why don't you talk to your partner about the problem? Well, he wants to come. You see what happened, though? Last night we had this, like... Don't this discuss problems on the telephone, sir, so you'll have to book an appointment to see the doctor with your... your, your well, if I come in with a doctor, like, will he, you know, touch me in various he areas? He touches you. This is, you'll be meeting with the doctor for consultation. And is he a nice doctor, a nice man? No, he's a terrible man. <laughs> yeah, because, Obviously. no, I've had some dealings with some. I went to a doctor one time. He shot a pumpkin ball right in my, like, in my ass, and it really hurt me. And I, I really don't want this guy doing shit like that. Well, now we know why Butterball has a problem getting it up. Getting that old pumpkin ball shot up his ass. <laughs> well, until next episode, we continue with the adventures of Butterball. edition of Motorcycle Madhouse Strange Happenings Around the Globe. A wife is credited with returning a husband to jail following an error. Seems court records say a Colorado inmate was mistakenly released from jail, enjoyed less than two hours of freedom before his dastardly wife realized the error and made him turn himself in. The Grand Junction Daily reports James Reinerson was in custody late last month at the Mesa County Jail on a $2,000 cash bond while awaiting prosecution on menacing, disorderly conduct, and trespass charges. James Reinerson, 38, was released after Mesa County Sheriff's deputies at the jail mistook him for another invade. Mesa County Sheriff Sergeant Henry Stoffel said Wednesday that jail employees broke procedure when they failed to check Reinerson's wristband and picture, and that an investigation is ongoing to determine whether jail policy around the housing list needs to be updated. He credited Reinerson's wife for returning her husband to custody. Our advice to Reinerson... Divorce that woman as soon as possible. In other news, Texas man sends Utah City $50 and an apology note 75 years after a crime. I was a stupid teen. 
a 90-year-old Texas man proved it's never too late to say sorry. This week's mailing, a handwritten apology note, and a $50 bill to the Public Works Department in Midvale, Utah. The man, who only identified himself as a sorrowful citizen, said he enclosed the cash to pay for a stop sign he stole decades ago. In the note, he said, I am enclosing $50 to pay for this stop sign I stole when I was a thoughtless teenager. The man wrote, Stupid might be a better word for it. The elderly man from North Houston, Texas, said he has been trying to do restitution for all the mistakes he's made in the past. All of these things have made me sour over the few things I did when I was young. He continued, I wish to be forgiven by the Lord, so I am so sorry and truly repentant. City officials were shocked by the gift and wish they could thank the man in person. Though, the letter didn't include a return address. Midville Mayor Robert Hale estimates the crime took place roughly 75 years ago. He paid more than $50 in 75 years he's been carrying that burden on his shoulder, Hale told Fox 13. Why he doesn't know the man's name? He hopes the 90-year-old knows he's forgiven and can now live peaceably. He's cleared it up as far as we're concerned, Hale said. And in that he plans to use the man's donation to replace another stop sign in the city. We can scratch out that line on the account receivable now. Midville shared the contents of the letter in a tweet Wednesday. We received the sweetest anonymous letter from a 90-year-old Texas gentleman and just had to share with y'all. Now, here is why Motorcycle Madhouse loves our firefighters. New York firefighters deliver pizza after a driver gets into a crash. Firefighters near Rochester, New York, weren't going to let a pizza customer go unsatisfied after the delivery driver got into a car crash. No! Engine 642 of the Henrietta Fire District in West Henrietta responded to the wreck Saturday afternoon in which a uh, pizza delivery driver was injured. Once the patient was cared for and loaded into the ambulance, the crew decided to finish the delivery so the pizza wouldn't go to waste. The department wrote on its Facebook. Henrietta Fire joked online, if it's not delivery, it's not the fire department. A play on DiGiorno's Frozen Pizza's famous tagline. After the firefighters delivered the pizza, they thanked the customer for deciding to order out and not risk burning food and setting off the fire alarm. And that's why we support our boys in red. Gotta love the hard-working men and women of our fire department nationwide. I'm Geek to Greek for Motorcycle Madhouse News, and until the next episode, I'm out of here! How's up and comers of the music scene? Let's get this show rocking for the next segment.
Valentus Throttle and Valentus Fitness Custom Clothing Line is bringing the motorcycle and fitness culture together. Be heard and stand out in the crowd with our custom apparel and clothing. If we don't have what you're looking for, we'll bring your ideals to life. We're also proud sponsors of Motorcycle Madhouse on Insane Throttle. Check us out on www. Out of the box clothing and products LLC.com. We have great feedback and we'll do our best to keep it that way. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari, host of Motorcycle Madhouse and the Biker Angle over on YouTube. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be. Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Or come on over to the Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel for the Biker Angle, hosted by myself. New episodes every Thursday at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 8 a.m. Be there! Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse, available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and all major podcasting platforms. So... Peter Fonda, who starred in the movie Easy Rider, and someone who is in the Sturgis Hall of Fame, recently tweeted out he wants to rip Baron Trump from his mother and put him in a cage with pedophiles. Really? Pedophiles, you piece of shit? Any biker who supports anything about you is also a piece of shit. Not only are you a washed up has been nobody, but maybe they should throw your ass behind bars for a while and see what some of those inmates think of those pedophiles and their supporters. You want to attack the president? Go for it. But to go after his kid? You're no better than his damn, your damn commie sister, man, who aided and embedded the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. Basically, hearing from those who actually ride, you're all dried up and finished within the biker community. Go hobnob with all your Hollywood cunts. Our community sure to hell don't need you. It's basically like the movie Easy Rider never existed after this. There's no coming back from what you said. Pedophiles? Like those... Who you hang around in Hollywood? Every last one of them are pedophiles. You know who Fonda likes hanging with, don't you? The freak Maxine Waters. Has everyone heard the latest from this freak? And you know what? Usually, I don't talk politics on this show. But what's going on out there is getting ridiculous. You have Peter Fonda actually out there saying... To what has he got? A couple million followers on Twitter? And that everybody in the biker community looks up to him? Saying that a kid should be ripped from his mother's arms and put in a cage with a pedophile. You know what? What the hell is going on with this world? You know what? Listen to what this, you know what I call her, the freak, has to say at one of her rallies. <laughs> Your cat. 
that have been booed out of restaurants. We have protesters taking up at their house. Who saying no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And that's what, we're gonna win this battle because while you try and put the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. Yeah, God's on your side, Maxine. God's on your side and Peter Fonda's side going around saying, go ahead, let's take a kid from his mother's arm and cage him with a bunch of pedophiles. Yeah, God's on your side, <laughs> Maxine. You know what? It's even funnier that the fake Washington Post even called you out. You know it's bad when even they agree this freak went too far. You know what? Representative Maxine Waters, who has held office in California since 1991, leaned into her more recent role as leader of the anti-Trump resistance over the weekend, earning widespread what is it, uh, condemnation, or whatever the hell they are putting, they misspelled it in this article, as she called for the public to absolutely harass President Trump's cabinet officials on the streets. Lest they help their boss turn the presidency into a dictatorship. And here's a quote. The American people have put up with this president long enough. What more do we need to see? What more lies do we need to hear? Waters shouted at a rally in Los Angeles on Saturday. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gas station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them. This coming from a freaking comedy and a socialist herself who don't even live in her district, but people's too stupid in that district keep freaking reelecting this idiot. Tick goes on to say her comments came a day after White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked to leave a restaurant as she dined with family. Sanders' aborted dinner party followed spontaneous street protests against other Trump aides and allies, including Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nelson, who left a Mexican restaurant to the cries of shame last week. The flash mobs are inspired in particular by the administration's new zero-tolerance policy on undocumented migrants, who Trump said this weekend should be stripped of their due process rights. By the way, you're damn right, but we do have a constitution, so we can't, you know, nick that. You know, they're not U.S. citizens, so why do we afford them the protections? You know what? That's one thing the founders got wrong. Anyway... The article goes on to say, but Waters encompasses her anger and everybody's anger on the left who despise the entire Trump presidency. Not just what he's done, but who he, she says he is. He loves the strong man and dictators around the world because he wants to be just like them. He wants to run the country like them. That idiot told MSNBC on Sunday, a day after the rally. No, actually, he's the only president that stood up to these dictators. He's the only one in years that actually solved 
this Korea problem. She goes on, and I want to tell you, she said, for these members of his cabinet who remain and try to defend him, they're not going to be able to go to a restaurant, to be able to stop at a gas station, to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're not going to protest. They're absolutely harass them until they tell the president, no, I can't hang from you. <laughs> really, this came from a, an elective a rep who's crying about dictatorships. Sounds like something that would come out of Moscow. Her drive to call Trump officials from pub, the drive them from public life has made her a hero to many on the left. They're a bunch of fucking idiots anyway. And disturbed not only Trump's supporters, but some moderates and Democrats who accuse her of hastening the country's descent from centuries-old civic standards. We're back in the colonial era in terms of public shaming. With virtual and symbolic stocks in the public square rather than literal ones. American historian Meacham told the Washington Post's Mary Jordan. He called this perhaps uniquely the tribal moment in the country's history. Without mentioning Waters, former President Obama, one-time chief strategist Axelrod, wrote that he was kind of amazed and appalled by the number of folks on the left who applauded. Sanders' expulsion from the restaurant as she dined with her family. As of Monday morning, the right-leaning Drudge Report was devoting the top section up to a teeth-gritten photo of, photo of Waters, who orders more public harassment on Trump aides, and Waters' opponent in the upcoming election, Navarro, has tried to turn the outrage into a boost for his long-shot campaign to unseat her. The congresswoman's office could not immediately be reached for comment or reaction because she's a chicken shit. Here's an ideal. How about the bikers for Trump get out there and go park about a couple hundred bikes wherever the hell this woman goes? It's evident the left is hell-bent on burning down everything in its path. America needs to wake up and start taking these pieces of shit to task. Put these idiots in their places. For one, no mainstream media will ever report that it was Bush and Obama's policies that led to the parent separation down at that border. It's a proven fact that has been displayed through photos from 2015 time and time again. Where were these fake-ass liberals with their Crimea River outrage back then? People in this country need to wake up. It's time to start fighting back against these socialist pricks. One cannot claim to love this country and then sit back and do nothing when people like the freak waters and Peter the pedophile Fonda go around steering up bullshit. Consequences have to be dealt or this country we love will go farther and farther down a path of no return. Liberals are a disease and should be treated as such. For those who listen to this show who are liberals, how can you in your right mind as a biker support people like this? We as bikers all the time complain about police profiling, for instance. 
I guess you do not know that the liberal far left is all about big government. Which means that if you think you have it bad now, you will have it even worse if they get their form of government. You're going to end up like Oz where they pass every law possible to ban any association between club members. Or you could be a member of a Dutch motorcycle club that was banned out of existence. Bikers are the last vestige of the holders of freedom in this country. If you're not involved in what's happening right now, then this country will be truly lost. When it's found normal for someone to say a child should be ripped from their mother's arms and caged with pedophile, something is truly wrong. I'm an independent biker as well as an independent thinker. I don't claim any party. I'm an American and always will believe in those who believe in America. Party politics are for those who are sheep. And you better remember that. In closing, get out there and vote if you're eligible. And after you vote, keep those politicians accountable. We've already seen what happens when the biker community can do when it works together. Like they did in Texas. A 20 point romp of that corrupt DA Reyna. Now it's time to take it to the next level. Get involved in these midterms. Get the word out to beat people like Waters, Pelosi. Enough is enough with these kind of freaks. And Fonda, you're an idiot. Yeah, you know what? That's your, you know, that's your road name now. Peter the pedophile fucking Fonda. And I'm out. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and check me out over on Biker Angle. Also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Holiday tips and wine stories from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there are over 1 million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Here's to a whole lot of celebrating. Crisp whites like a floral Sauvignon Blanc pairs perfectly with shrimp cocktail and other light appetizers. Now that's how you kick off a holiday meal. Don't stress about choosing the right wine for a meaningful gift. Consider me your wine concierge. As you check off that gift list this holiday season, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection at Total Wine and More. Cheers. 